we're looking at these, you know, the progression from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're getting pretty close to the conclusion of this 66-book journey together. You can go back online anytime you're reading a book out of the Bible and get a little bit of history context. I want to provide that for you today out of 2 Timothy. Um, understand as we journeyed into this, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are what are known as the pastoral letters. And so here we have this amazing declaration coming from an apostolic father, an apostolic church leader who's probably in his 60s writing to young Timothy, who's a few decades younger than him, and this mentoring relationship is revealed in such a wonderfully unique way. And he starts off the book this way, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son. And it's such a great expression, and this will be your first blank as you, uh, as you write in today, but Timothy's father, his natural father, didn't teach him the ways of God. Let me just ask this question. How many of you here, your natural father did not teach you the ways of God? They didn't raise you up in the things of God. It's a good number of people in the room. And so what happens, it's amazing, but God uses his own family to father the fatherless. Have you heard that verse, God's a father to the fatherless? Well, it's a great verse, but it only really comes to fruition when we rise up as the family of God that God's called us to be and invest in the lives of those that God's entrusted to our care. And so God is a father to the fatherless as we allow him to orchestrate our lives that we then begin to invest into the people around us. And I'm not just talking about like showing up at church. I'm talking about in the workplace. And I want to kind of sculpt a concept and an idea today that's not too churchy, um, not commonly taught a lot in the church uh, realm and dynamic for some reason. We get so ministry-minded, ministry-focused in terms of what goes on here that we lose sight of the, fa of the fact, folks, the kingdom of God has come. We are empowered to move beyond these walls, and everywhere we go should be an expression of transformation and human flourishing to the north, south, east, and west in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give God's Word home field advantage today, and we declare it in Jesus' name. Lord, Awaken us to the purposes of God in Jesus' mighty name. So Paul wrote this incredible uh, letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he, he's writing from prison. Historically, it's interesting when you start to look at this, um, the great fire of Rome happened in 64 AD that burned half the city. Angry residents were in this uproar, and uh, Nero conveniently blamed the Christians in the midst of all of this that was taking place, and Paul was one of those who got caught up in it all and literally was beheaded shortly after writing this letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. This is the thing, because Paul understood, and, and if you'll just try and listen for the priorities that God wants us to get today. You know, I've got my own set of priorities, and again, I just want to say again, sometimes what we prioritize isn't really the priority of God. And sometimes what God's prioritizing is really not our own priority. And I, I want to say, we don't have this all figured out. I, I want you to know that. We're not professional church people. We don't have this all figured out, and we have missed it plenty of times over the course of time. But we are on an authentic journey to try and figure out more than we've known before. And I believe that today, God really does want us to hear and see in color by His Spirit to recognize some of what He's desiring to accomplish in our generation and how you and I are a part of that. So important for us to realize Paul passed away but had imparted something generationally, 
listen carefully, he imparted something generationally that would perpetuate well beyond his own life and be an expression of legacy. He would go into these communities, and we've been looking at this letter by letter, and he would begin to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, rally believers together, and then we read, don't forsake your assembling together. Why? Because God was using Paul to establish the New Testament church, congregational families all over the planet. That was the ultimate goal. It appeared pretty modest. If you've ever been to Rome, you see all of this expression of Christendom now and crosses everywhere. Listen, that's not the way it was in Paul's day. He gathered a group of believers together, a very modest, small group of believers having to fear for their lives and hide for their lives and, and gathered. It was dangerous to do so, but he said, listen, don't forsake. I know it's dangerous, but don't forsake gathering together that you might come together over the truth of God's Word, being empowered by God's Spirit. We're not here today to get our religion on. We're here today to hear the Spirit of God and let Him breathe wind into our lives and awaken us to the greater purposes of God and empower the church empower the church to go from generation to generation. That's what Paul was saying as he's writing this to Timothy. Timothy then began to entrust that to faithful men. And think about what I'm saying. Here we are today, all these 2,000 years later. It's amazing. Like we are a part of God's plan of perpetuating God's family in the earth in such a way that the world is being transformed. No telling what all will happen as a result of our surrendered, available lives together. The idea is that we devote ourselves together as a congregational family. Get it. It's, we're a congregational family, and we devote ourselves together <clears throat> to produce a legacy that proclaims Christ and will outlive and outlast us all. So like our gathering and our, our commitment to be here today, our devotion to see all that God has in store, you discover when you walk in the door and you find uh, to your, when you go out to the very, out now out to the exit, you'll see on your right, but there's this table set up out there. What, what, what most of us don't even think about, because most of us are, are well off enough that we don't really have to be too concerned about people that are struggling in their life. But in our society and in our culture, this is just the church being the church, in our culture there are families who they cannot afford to buy food like you and I have the luxury of just going to the store to buy food. And so their children go to public school systems that give them free or reduced lunches, and in the summertime when they're not in school, they go hungry in many instances. So, you know, Crystal Gazaway began to talk about this, and she began to have a burden for this, and she then came, and we started cultivating this idea, and now she's got a team of people helping, and people are bringing food during the summertime. It started now, and they put the food in the bags, and families then that are in need come to church on Sunday, and they get that food for the week and take that home. How many know that's Jesus in action? And that's what we have to begin to understand. What is God desiring to accomplish in our community and our world around us? And it's wonderful that we show up here and we gather as the church and we're encouraged by the church, by all of the worship and the teaching, preaching, the ministry of our kids. I love it that we get to, you know, go home and hear what our kids have to say. And in youth, my kids come home and they're excited about what Pastor Chris is bringing. I mean, all, you know, they're group leaders in all of that. Now the college and career, I'm hearing about that from my oldest 
God help us, how does this happen so fast? Like we were just getting started in kindergarten, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, these expressions of ministry happening, I actually went over and, and took some pictures today in the kids' area, and there's a whole group of people that are working to set all this up, and I wanted to just show you a few pictures of the discipleship robots that are going on. So could you splash those up for us? And so they have this God has a plan, and the next one shows this, these expressions that they're talking about. Imagine what you could be created in God's image. And it's all about building something. And this is actually a picture of, uh, it looks like paint buckets pouring paint down the wall. Just such a creative expression. And then on the platform, we see they set up these robots and they've got video of the dancing robots for worship. And, and I just want to say, thank God for people who come and they serve and minister to and pour into our sons and daughters in this house. I'm so thankful. And that seems to be what Paul is aiming for as he's imparted something to next generation Timothy and then is awakening that in Timothy's heart. And this is all about every single one of us. And listen, myself included, all like at the very front, myself included, I've got to get this. We all have got to get past ourselves. How I many you know it is very easy to be full of ourselves? When we get full of ourselves and we get focused on ourselves, we lose sight of reaching out into the lives of people around us, doing anything to serve anybody except our own needs. And that's a very, uh, that's a very dangerous conclusion to come to in your life because your life then will ultimately come to an end. And if you've not released something of legacy into a generation younger than you, then your life impact and influence stops with you. And God has a plan that's much bigger than that for every single one of us. We are devoted to developing a culture that inspires and empowers the next generation church perpetually. Amen. The worship will always be inclined to the next generation. If the next generation coming is disco, guess what, baby? We're going to be disco for Jesus. Whatever it looks like to reach the next generation, we are devoted to inspiring and empowering the next generation church. We are committed to relevance, and we're committed to excellence because we believe Jesus is relevant, and he is the most excellent king who's worthy of our praise, and we will embrace that which he wants to bring into the earth in generations to come. This is why it's important that we all be involved, not only in the people that we easily identify with, which is what we're all inclined to do, but we purpose beyond that. You know, I shared last week, and we talked a lot last week about statistical conclusions of departures taking place in the church in the U.S. 18 to 23-year-olds are, are leaving at a rate of 71%. 71% of 18 to 23-year-olds in the United States are leaving the church for at least a year uh, when they get into that age group. And, and the stats are, are astonishing when it shows us that an older person in the church, how many of you are older person in the church? I know, you don't want to admit it, but, but you, you realize what I'm saying. If you're over 21, then according to this stat, you're an older person in the church. If an older person in the church will develop a relationship with some of these people as they're growing through our children, our youth ministry, college age, if the older people in the church will cultivate a relationship with them and just send them a text message every two weeks, that statistic cuts in half. You know what that tells me? 
Paul fathering Timothy is a pretty important model for us to get as a church that we will never build a church around a single generation. We are multi-generational. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we are going to empower fathers to father sons and mothers to mother daughters, and we're going to empower sons and daughters to value those who've gone before them. I mean, you know, we have something to share after we've lived a few years. And understanding both those elements is so vitally important for us to be who God's called us to be. So I'm mentioning this these three weeks specifically with great clarity. We would love for you to be connected and involved in helping make those connections, build those relationships. The merge card and the seat back in front of you is always the avenue for you to find out how can I get involved, how can I get connected when you have questions, how can I join, the, be a part of the church family, any of those things, uh, you can always fill that out and we'll help you, and we want you to find that place. Reproduction and multiplication always involve the seed, and that's what we see from Paul to Timothy. There's a spiritual seed that he's cultivating in his life. He was, he was willing to be involved, willing to devote himself with everything he had going on. He was searching. He was hunting for spiritual sons and spiritual fathers to bring impartation of that which God had entrusted to his care. So the statement again, reproduction and multiplication always involves a seed. The seed takes root. The seed grows into a strong expression of that seed, whatever that seed is. And then after becoming fruitful, it produces seeds to, re, uh, to repeat the process. So this is always a part of the plan. It's always what we see. This is why it's important for us to understand in 2 Timothy, Jesus is revealed in this book as the unstoppable seed of David. This is the unstoppable seed of David. The plan of God is unstoppable. When Jesus came, the devil really had a headache on his hands. And when Jesus walked through the earth, I mean, how many of you know the devil shuddered, shuddered everywhere Jesus went? When Jesus came into a town, there are demonic hordes that exist in the spirit realm. Read your Bible and understand this. This isn't radical. This is simply biblical. And there are demonic strongholds that try to secure and exist in the city of Oklahoma City. Had Jesus come into Oklahoma City, they would have been having their little spiritual rallies and trying to figure out what they're going to do with this man who walked, with his two, walked on his two feet with his two hands everywhere he went. No telling what was going to happen. All heaven was going to break loose. But Jesus, the seed, died. And Jesus, the seed, came to life. And now you and I are the seed, and the devil has a headache of millions proportion. There are millions of hands, and there are millions of feet. We have to walk through this city declaring the kingdom of God is here. We are the people of God called by his name. No, you haven't shouted and clapped it enough. We are the people of God called by his name. Come on, let's declare the anointing of God is to be released in the earth that breaks every yoke of bondage in Jesus' mighty name. This is what Paul saw in Rome. This is what Paul saw in Corinth. This is what Paul saw in Ephesus. This is what Paul saw. Looking in these communities, devoting himself, ultimately losing his life to establish the body of Christ in the earth. This is the call of God that then perpetuates in every one of our lives to embrace what God has called us to. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ is the seed of David. He was raised from the dead according to my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The life is always in the seed. 
And have you ever noticed the seed rarely resembles the result? You know, God doesn't require a whole lot to work with. He just requires a little bitty seed. And if we'll give him the seed of our life, whatever that is, instead of growing discouraged because the seed of my existence doesn't really uh, resemble the fruitfulness that I want to see, if we'll stop dreaming and having a love affair with where we hope to be and simply focus on what God's put in our hand, then we will become everything God's called us to be. But we have to focus in on the seed. We have to look at this thing that in so many instances is unseen. We can't see beyond what's right before us. The life is always in the seed. Every apple you've ever eaten resulted from the death of a seed before it. And I love this verse of Scripture in John 12, verse 24. It says, unless a seed or a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, unless the seed dies, then it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If it's unwilling to die, it won't multiply into a harvest. But if it's willing to die, this is is a concept and a truth of the seed. An apple will never give us any harvest beyond its own life if the seed is never planted and dies in that hidden secret place. Do you know where you die? in that secret hidden place. Well, I just don't have time to read my Bible because I'm too busy with all the public stuff in my life. You're missing the point of the seed. Well, I'm too busy to pray and take time just to be quietly alone with God. See, the Brooklyn Bridge never gets built if you never work on that which is beneath the surface. So I'm asking today, how are you personally cultivating that quiet place where nobody sees you but God, and God does see you, and it doesn't take God long to promote you. I want to (laughs) say today, I I used to have a metal uh, table that I would bang on. I can't do that on the glass, but I'll knock today. I want to just tell you today that it does not take God long to promote you. It takes God a while to prepare you. And after he has prepared you, you will be shocked at how quickly he will promote you into places of expanding his kingdom. Almost every significant thing that God births This is a deep concept. You're going to have to think about it. Almost every significant thing that God births, he allows to die before the vision is fulfilled his way. If you've ever experienced the death of a vision in your life, then perhaps you grieved the loss of that vision for whatever reason. Whatever brought about the death of that vision, you were frustrated by it, you were grieved by it, it didn't work out the way I thought. Rather than being grieved by that, pause and give some thanks to God because he can take it and make it even bigger and further beyond what you ever had anticipated. Understand this, every, almost every significant thing God births, he allows to die before the vision is fulfilled his way. Abraham, is fa- he's father Abraham, isn't he? He was given the revelation that he was going to be a father, and then his wife was stricken with barrenness for like a quarter of a century. They even tried to help God. How many of you ever tried to help God? God gave you a vision, and you helped him. How many of you are junior Holy Spirits? Can I just see? Come on, junior Holy Spirits, raise your hand. You lying bunch of God helpers. I know how you are. Just like me, same thing. We're always trying to help God. God said this, and so I'm now translating it. God, we, we know in part, and we're supposed to prophesy in part. But how many of you know it's easy to know in part and begin to prophesy in full because we figured it all out, and then we want to counsel God so he gets it. 
And so here's Abraham helping God and, and the barren wife. And then after the death of that dream happens in his life, then his son is born. God is faithful to bring his word to pass. He is faithful to bring his word to every single time there's death. Let me say, there's always life. He is faithful. Anytime there's death, let there be life. Keep your focus. Don't abandon your hope. Don't lose the dream that was in your heart. Joseph, rulership, leadership is in his future. I'm going I'm to rule. I'm going to lead. And then all of it passes away. He's sold into slavery. He's lied about. He's, he's then sent to prison. Like, it's over. I think 13 years of this thing, just like, it's, it's, it's over. And suddenly, Pharaoh pulls him out of prison and says, now is the time. See, it was like Joseph lost his mind that none of it was going to come to pass. And so, here he is, and he says, I'm going to do this. And one day, I see myself ruling and leading, and, and even my own brother's bowing to me. It's a crazy vision. I don't even understand it. And he's just back here, and he's saying, I'm going to do that. And, he, and about the time he says, I'm going to do that, ugh, it all goes down into the pit. And everything happens down here. This is where all the bad stuff, we love the sweet by and by, but I'm talking the nasty now and now. That's what I'm talking about down here. This is the stuff. It's the meantime. God gave me a vision, but in the meantime, I mean, I wish they call it the nice time, but they don't. They call it the meantime. And so he's in the meantime down here dealing with all this stuff. And all of a sudden, like, it was like the dream never even got a deterrent because God, the whole time, God had the whole thing set into motion. And God brings him up out of the pit and says, I'm going to bring this thing to pass, and I'm going to bring it to pass my way. And the disciples, they receive their Messiah, and the Messiah's come, and he's doing all these miracles, and he dies on a cross right before their eyes. And the question that were, had to have been going, I mean, even though Jesus explained it, how many of you know, knowing what you ought to do and doing what you know to do are always two different things? And so the disciples had an understanding, but then they watched him die, and Jesus came back to everything, every significant. I really hope you're hearing this in a very personal way in your life today. Every significant thing that God brings to pass. In many instances, he so is required to cause us to dismantle our perspective. Otherwise, we'll put our hands all on it and try and make it our thing. But how many of you know God likes for us to give him all of the credit and all of the glory and lift up his name and not our own so that he can then draw all men to him. That's the kind of God he is trying to constantly expand the family. I want to give you a concept today, kind of in our landing strip of this, that this is the element that I think the church largely needs to get. Whew, take a breath. Y'all have worn me out. I still have another time to do this, so y'all just wear me out here. Uh, how many of you, your life's been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ? Can I just see? And this is the way it happens in the heart. Like, I was that guy, you know, 80s metal bands, lead guitarist, rocking it, finding my own way, feeling really empty and miserable inside, but justifying every step of the way, drugs, all the stuff that I was involved in. And, uh, and I go to this Christian rock concert, this band called Petra, that in that day most Christians scrutinized and 
And, uh, of course, they weren't quite religious enough for the church people sometimes. And so, I mean, we just have to be real careful. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's demonic. And so here I am in Lloyd Noble Arena where I've had all kinds of experiences with, you know, concerts and the partying that goes with it. And this was very different. And I remember standing there watching these guys. They started to play. It was like something happened in my heart. Something happened in my heart. I mean, I was a, you know, tough-acting person. Like, I didn't crack easy. And something started happening in my heart as the music began to play. I love that song we were singing earlier. The atmosphere is changing. I know what it is to come into the atmosphere of God's presence, a very hard-hearted person, and suddenly grow soft in the hands of God. I mean, God reached my heart. I promise you the way God has transformed your life is he's reached into your heart. The way God reaches into humanity is he reaches into our heart. And this is the point I want to make. The way God transforms a city is he does so by reaching into the heart of the city. So if we were to look at a city and discover three main arteries that have to exist for a city to function, these are those three main arteries. We did this graphic years ago. Those, those arteries, they are government, business, and education. There are a lot of veins, but these are the three main arteries. If you remove any one of these three main arteries, then the city will no longer exist. And so here's the heart of the city. Government, business, education. Any city in the world. And so this is what happens God reaches into our heart. Go ahead and and look this way. I want to make sure you get this. God reaches into our heart, and then we gather together as the body of Christ, and we're inspired by God, and we're empowered by God to go out into the city and find our places of ministry in business, government, and education. See, when, the, when we gather as the church, our lives are enriched. How many of you agree? When we come to church, our lives are enriched. Like, we should come to church frequently. We should come to church consistently. Because as we gather, there's something broken off of our lives, strengthened and empowered and encouraged. There's something important about the gathering of the church. When we come to church, our lives are enriched. But when we become the church, our world is enriched. When we come to church, our lives are enriched, but when we become the church, our world is enriched. Why is that guy always making the coffee, cleaning the coffee station? Why does she come early? Why does she stay late? When we start to put ourselves in that place of an expression of service, loving, serving, giving, then there really begins to be an amazing recognition that comes from the people around us. Now, this moment is an important moment for us. Because like, we've worshipped, we've received His Word, and now that background music pops in. Was that Faith on the Keys a minute ago? Was that LJ, is that little... See, I like that stuff because that's like real life. How many ever tried to have devotions at home and it was just like a total train wreck? 
and it wasn't. You just didn't see it in such fluid movement of what you're experiencing in church. And, and this is what you've got to understand. This is for the gathering of the church. That's not. I, I don't know about you, but I'd like to take LJ with me to, to uh, an office complex or something, you know, join. He'd just come in the morning with you to work. And, uh, and then right, like when it's, everybody's punching the clock, and everybody's coming in, and LJ starts playing on the keys. And you just say, friends, it's so good to be at work today. You know what's crazy? That's funny to us, but the only reason it's funny is because there's something about it that actually connects in a religious mindset. You're not going to have a keyboard in the morning when you wake up, but you do need to press in and experience the presence of God. You're not going to have this you know, atmosphere of, of worshipful expression of ministry in the workplace, but you are called by God to go and be an evangelist there. Like It's going to look different. Because when we gather, our lives are enriched. But when we become, we go and enrich the world around us. And that means getting involved in the difficult stuff. And there's some difficult stuff. Paul goes on, he tells Timothy, verse 5 and 6 of 2 Timothy 1, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This, remember last week, if you were here, we talked about what that word means, sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Generational faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your grandmother, your mother, now you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you by the laying on of my hands. We talked about that last week. Folks, there are some things that will not be awakened in your life if you don't get connected with the body of Christ and pray together and seek God together and worship together and come forward when we have prayer teams together. The last Sunday of this month, we're going to have water baptism in here on our fireworks night. And, you know, we do the, our fourth, we jump on the 4th of July a little early, last Sunday of June. And so that evening, we're going to all come in here, we're going to have water baptism. And then we're just going to say, how many of you really want to go deeper in your faith? You want to know, I don't know if you figured it all out or if you think you figured it all out but I don't care how spiritually mature you are in the room there's more for you to grow in your relationship with Christ and we want to give that challenge as we then have our elders and our leaders up here on that night when people have shown up for the fireworks and we're going to invite people to come forward and we'll see how it all works but we're just going to begin to lay hands on people and believe God for an impartation that we read about in scripture something supernatural needs to be happening in the body of Christ let the church be inspired and empowered and mobilized. Come on, let's stand together. Let's stand together and let's do that again. Let's give him a standing ovation. We're believing for something to be awakened within us. We're believing for something to be awakened within our city, within our community. That men and women of God will fulfill their apostolic assignments in the workplace. Their prophetic assignments in the workplace. Have you thought about this before? But the fivefold ministry shows up really well in business. Apostles are overseers, and they oversee networks of leaders. And those would be showing up in the in the, the business world as, as people that oversee managers. And the pastors are management, and they manage people, and they're kind of aware and in touch with key specific needs. And they're working with that. And the prophets, they're like the visionaries. 
and in the workplace. These are the people that like, these are the products that we need to be developing and these are the plans that we need to be working on. And the evangelists, they're the teachers and the trainers and they're the ones that are saying, this is how you do what it is we're trying to do. I mean, this all shows up beautifully. You got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and you've got the practical and the spirit, and they come together beautifully. Jesus came out of heaven in the spirit, and he walked on the earth in a practical, deeply human way, achieving a connection within our lives that is so deeply human, connecting with us. And then Jesus went back to be at the right hand of the Father, but he ushered the Christ into the earth, and the Christ never left the earth. We're not the body of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of the anointing of God. We're to, to fill the earth and subdue the spiritual principality of the people that are around us and we walk into the room we impact the atmosphere the atmosphere is changing now do you know who you are have you figured this out we need the anointing in our lives this comes in the quiet place a prayer of the word of connecting rising up and being everything God's called us to be Your action point is get involved in mentoring the next generation. And I just say this again, devoting ourselves together congregationally as a family. It's where we started in the beginning. Devoting ourselves together congregationally as a family produces a legacy that proclaims Christ that will outlive and outlast every one of us. Isn't that what this is about? So come on. Father, I, I thank you that today You've given us a deeper opportunity of understanding of what you are desiring to accomplish as a result of our surrendered available lives. We acknowledge, Lord, nobody in this room has this figured out. Not one of us has this all figured out. We're all on a journey just trying to find our way. And ultimately, we want to become more like you. Lord, we want to cooperate with your desire to establish your church family, God's family, in the earth, in congregational expressions. Help us, Lord, to grow with greater maturity in our lives as a family. In Jesus' name.